everybody, Julian Charles here at themindrenewed.com, coming to you as usual from the depths of the Lancashire countryside here in the UK. And today it's great to be speaking with Daniel Nesbitt, Research Director of Big Brother Watch. That's bigbrotherwatch.org.uk, which is a prominent privacy and civil liberties campaign organisation based here in the UK. Daniel, thanks very much for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for agreeing to come on. I mean, as it happens, I had arranged a couple of years ago to speak with Emma Carr when she was working with Big Brother Watch, but that just that just fell through for mm-hmm. various technical reasons. So it's especially good to be able to speak with you today. Now, what I want to ask you about is the UK government's draft on its investigatory powers bill, which I understand is making its way through the various lawmaking processes at Westminster at the moment. Thankfully, I mean, you may correct me on this, but it's not close to becoming law, although I do understand the government wants this to be all done and dusted by the end of 2016. You'll tell me something about that in a moment. Um, Now, this, of course, is known more popularly as the Snoopers Charter, which, uh, judging by what I've read about it so far, does seem to be a fairly fitting way of referring to it. And, of course, there are many concerns being expressed about this bill, just as a casual glance at the written evidences provided to the Draft Investigatory Powers Bill Joint Committee makes pretty clear organisations like Liberty, Human Rights Watch, Electronic Frontier Foundation, Privacy International, and, of course, Big Brother Watch, among many, many others, raising some concerns about this from the point of view of privacy and government overreach. We'll get into the details of that in a few minutes from now. So, um, Daniel, first of all, could you tell us a bit more about Big Brother Watch itself, you know, something about how it came into being and, and what it does? Yes, Big Brother Watch is a civil liberties and privacy campaign group that was founded um, just about five years ago now, um, and it was set up to counteract what our founders saw as a lot of surveillance and uh, security-led legislation coming through Parliament without much of a counter-argument or much scrutiny looking at how they would how it actually impacts on privacy or civil liberties. And we focus on a variety of issues, for example, CCTV, body-worn cameras and drones um, in sort of the physical world. And also online, we're looking at um, where our data is going, who has access to it um, and where it's stored. Mm, great work. And what is it that you actually do as Director of Research? Um, as Research Director, I'm responsible for um, identifying areas we can write reports on, look at how we can raise awareness of them, and then also um, looking into responding to consultations and uh, calls for evidences from government as well. And you get involved in the, the process of committee stages and the like in Westminster itself, don't you? I mean, as, as an organisation, we um, respond to written calls for evidence from committees, um, and then if required, we'll also go and give all our evidence as well. Yeah, great. Okay, so let's take a look then at this draft investigatory powers bill. Now, I notice when you visit the Big Brother Watch website, uh, at least just at the moment anyway, uh, you've got this huge orange banner (laughs) that uh, fills the screen as soon as you get there. And I'm going to quote what it says. Under the investigatory powers bill, the government will know that you are on this website. And I think that's a very effective thing to have done there on the website. Um, You've also created a number of really helpful fact sheets, which, of course, I will link to in the show notes. And it sets out many of the key points and key concerns that Big Brother Watch has about these very proposals. So let's start with an overview. Um, What would you say the government says that it wants to achieve with this new legislation? Well, the bill itself is aimed at updating our surveillance powers uh, for the modern age. Currently, they're overseen by the Regulation of Investigative Powers Act, which was passed in the year 2000 before Facebook and Twitter and other websites like them really revolutionised how we communicate. We've moved a lot more into the the online world, and at present, the legislation isn't fit for purpose and doesn't actually 
keep up with that. So this is a reaction to how we now communicate. It's looking more into the online world and trying to update legislation to fit that. Mm-hmm. And how does this add to what the government achieved with its fast-tracked legislation in July 2014 with the Data Retention Investigatory Powers Act? Well, that act was just on a very small part of of a much wider range of powers that the government has. So that was looking just at data retention. Um, This also brings in other powers that the government has had and is now um, allowing for the very first time, for example, um, what they call equipment interference, which is essentially hacking. Mm. We've also got um, the interception of communications and also bulk powers. So um, essentially being able to intercept communications on bulk, hack computers um, in a bulk way, and also collecting bulk personal data sets, which is information about everybody, regardless of whether they're actually wanting to make a crime or not. Right, okay, yes, I I want to ask you some of those details in a minute. Now, a couple of years ago, the government had the communications data bill, and I understand that that didn't get anywhere, essentially, because there were too many problems expressed about it. So am I right in thinking that this is a kind of reincarnation of that bill? Um, Yes, in in part. Again, as with um, the Data Retention and Investigatory Powers Act, the communications data bill only focused on a very small part of the much wider bill that we've got now. Um, so that was only looking at communications data, which is just a very start bit of the investigative powers bill. Mm. But it was stopped in the past because it was asking for far too many powers and the safeguards just weren't there. So that was asking for too many powers, but this bill is asking for many more powers. It is. I mean, essentially, it's this bill is only asking for one new power. That's internet connection records. Um, the other powers are existing capabilities that are either being avowed or updated. And how far has this bill got with its passage through Parliament so far? This bill is now quite a bit of the way through the House of Commons stage, so it's just been through the Public Bill Committee, which is where parliamentarians will look at each clause line by line, and now it's gone into it's going into report stage and third reading in the Commons, and then it will move on to the House of Lords after that. Mm-hmm. And are you getting a lot of concern expressed to you as an organisation about what's happening with this? Well, there's been concerns right the way through about this bill. I mean, to name just a few concerns, we've got we're looking at the Internet Connection Records, the one uh, new power in this bill, and they are um, essentially allowing the government to mandate that internet companies store records of our internet browsing history, looking at each website we access, when we've done it, uh, where we've done it from, what, what device we're doing it from as well. And also looking at other concerns that are being expressed, there's also concern around the, the authorization of many of these powers. Um, we are of the opinion that for many of these, for all of these powers, in fact, they're very invasive, so therefore they should be signed off with a strong judicial element to them. What's being proposed at the moment isn't a very strong safeguard. It's essentially the Home Secretary or the Foreign Secretary will sign off a warrant, and then the, the judge will essentially look at it and then decide whether it's proportional or not. We would rather see it come to the point where they both have an equal say in the of a surveillance operation. Mm. Okay, so I will come back to probe you a little further about those things. So let, let's start really with the equipment interference, because I think that's the one that is, you know, the, the one that really jumps out at you, especially this phrase that you have in one of the fact sheets here. Let me just quote from this. Equipment interference, EI, is the term given in the Investigatory Powers Bill to describe the act of hacking. If the bill becomes law, the police and the intelligence agencies, MI5, MI6 and GCHQ, will be legally allowed to hack a device system or network to watch, change, destroy or obtain data in secret without the user knowing, end quote. Okay, can you tell us a bit more what they really intend to do with this? I mean, who are they wanting to target? Is it going to be against particular suspects or is there a bulk kind of attitude with this as well? Well, with equipment interference, 
in a targeted manner, it will be targeted against um, specific targets of interest, um, looking at people who are looking to break the law or breaking the law. So the ones that are usually trotted out are people in organized crime organizations and um, terrorists. But also there is the element of bulk equipment interference, which is large-scale operations targeted against a large number of people. And a lot of those people are going to be innocent people going about their daily business, not wanting to commit any crime and not even thinking about committing a crime. And this is where one of our main concerns is because there's no way of actually assessing whether this action is going to be proportionate or not because you quite simply you're not going to be able to assess who is going to be affected by this at the stage when you're signing off a bulk warrant. Yes. Okay, so this... Equipment interference, then, is essentially the ability to be able to get inside somebody's computer and delete files or read what's on their computer, upload to a server somewhere what's on that person's computer. This is legalising, giving a framework, a legal framework for this to take place. Yes, it's essentially legalising hacking. It's not uh, a new power. It's something that has been done in the past. It's just that they are bringing it more out into the open here now and actually putting it into legislation. Yes, okay. So do I understand, then, with, with respect to the bulk element of this is that it would be focused largely abroad. Is that right? Uh, yes, that is correct, yes. It will, it, it's a, so that would be the intelligence agencies yes, own, sort own, of ca- casting their net widely abroad for various national security reasons? Yes, exactly. I mean, the only people allowed to use the bulk powers are the intelligence agencies. I mean, one of the things that concerns me about that is, I mean, that, that kind of sounds, okay, because it's focused outward, but I think back to the days of Echelon and the European Parliament was expressing concerns about how there were, or there was the belief that there might be reciprocal arrangements between the intelligence agencies here in the, in the UK and other intelligence agencies where they were kind of swapping information. And of course, if that, if that is so, then how could we be sure that, say, within the Five Eyes group, UK, US, Australia, Canada, and New Zealand, that, you know, this bulk uh, surveillance might not be swapped such that we would be caught up in this net. Well, yeah, this is a this is a very real concern. It's an issue that does need also to be looked at alongside the um, clauses in this bill. Um, intelligence sharing between different agencies is uh, an issue that has been raised on many, many uh, occasions in the past, and it still needs to be looked at and considered in, in the proper manner. And um, you mentioned interception. This is the ability to actually listen into phone calls and read text messages and record that. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's basically the acquisition of the content of any message. So there's two elements. There's the communications data, which is um, sort of the who, when, where and how of um, a communication. And then there's the content of it, which is would come under interception, which is what the message actually is. And this would have a bulk provision as well? Uh, yes, it does. Um, in a very similar way to bulk interference, it's essentially the communications of a very large number of people, regardless of whether or not they are guilty of a crime or whether or not they are intending to commit a crime. Yeah, and so this data would be swept up and then presumably it will go through some kind of software, keyword filtering software to supposedly sift out things that are of interest and get rid of things that's just dross. And in that kind of situation, um, would it not generate loads of false positives? I mean, this is one of the main concerns we have with the bulk powers in that it's not clear exactly um, what benefits they're actually going to bring to intelligence agencies. It's been said on many occasions that the case hasn't been conclusively made for these powers and that until there is more information being released about them and more of a case being put forward to actually prove that they're going to be necessary, um, then it's very difficult to actually support them. 
Yes, I mean, looking at Theresa May's uh, communication to the Joint Committee, she says, and this is quoting from her, she says it's vital to have this power. Um, Access to large volumes of data enables the intelligence agencies to piece together communications and identifies patterns of behaviour. So as far as she's concerned that the case is made, but you're saying actually it's not really made. Yes, I mean, it happens again and again in this bill that we're told the cases we made and we're told that they're all vital and uh, necessary tools for the intelligence agencies and the police. But in so many cases, the case just hasn't been made for many of these powers. You're looking at just internet connection records, for example. No other country in, in Europe or indeed the Commonwealth actually uses these powers. Mm. Denmark did have a similar arrangement, but um, they abandoned them after the results weren't being made and they decided not to reinstitute them because they were just simply too expensive. Um, there's been no real um, evidence put forward to show why the UK is a special or unique case. Um, and um, again, the case just hasn't been made. Yeah, yeah. And a case is made against it by, I noticed there were very famous names, William Binney, former NSA official, Colleen Rowley, former FBI agent. They're both writing against this and saying that, uh, I, I think it's William Binney says it's just collecting hay. And, and you know, that's actually not really very useful because it's, you're wasting analysts' time sifting through stuff that really just doesn't matter very much. I mean, given that it might not actually be useful at all. I mean, I'm speculating here, but I'm just wondering whether you might agree that this has more to do with making people feel uncomfortable. They might be listened into, they might be spied upon, and therefore doing law enforcement in that way, in a kind of chilling effect way. Uh, I'm honestly not sure about that. I think there is definitely a point of view within the Home Office and Intelligence Agency these powers are uh, necessary, but I mean, the case just isn't being made. Um, I'm assuming that many people do support their use and there may well be evidence that they are useful, but it's just not being presented in any, any sort of way to the public. Hmm. Could you say a little bit more about what data they're actually wanting to retain? Because there are different kinds, aren't there? There's internet connection records and there's communication data. Could you just clarify what those things are? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, an internet connection record is essentially a kind of communications data. Um, it tells you a lot about your internet activity. So it would tell you, tell a person what websites you've accessed. Um, so it would tell you that I, for example, had um, accessed www.biblowatch.co.uk, but not anything further. So it, you could tell that I'd been on this website, but not what pages within the website I accessed. Um, and on top of that, it would tell a person what time I'd accessed it, where I'd accessed it from, and what device I'd been using to access it. Right, OK. So the actual content of a page that someone's reading, in theory, wouldn't be accessed, or wouldn't even be retained. Is that right? No, that's, it's, a separate, it's, it's separate. That's classed as content. So it's a separate from an internet connection record. And is that actually easy to distinguish between sort of the, the metadata and the content? Um, this is a this is a a problem that many people have expressed that it is very difficult to actually um, differentiate between the two, and it's something that again would need to be proved exactly how how it is and how it could be done. And I think the one thing that makes me feel a little uncomfortable, and I think others might feel the same about this, is that some of this information I understand would be available not only to the police and intelligence agencies, but also to public organisations like um, HMRC and the National Health Service, local councils. Is that what's on the cards? Um, when it comes to communications data, um, yes, this is something that has been uh, is in the bill. Um, it is of concern because, once again, we have got to a point where a lot of agencies will be able to access the information. But in our view and in the view of others, um, the case hasn't been made for them to actually access it. We're told again that they're necessary and they uh, organisations will need them to be able to actually carry out their operations. But the case just hasn't been made to actually show conclusively that this is the case. 
Mm. You say communications data, but I, is it not the case they would also, at least some of them would have access to internet connection records as well? Um, it varies. Some some will, some won't. Okay. I mean, one thing that you bring up a couple of times in the fact sheets is that as the Internet of Things continues to grow, then a lot of this, what we might call metadata, is going to grow exponentially with it. And therefore, although you might, in theory, not know the, you know, the content of these messages, well, as that information grows, you're going to be able to piece together a tremendous amount of information about people, almost to the point where it seems, at least I can't imagine how it could be controlled. You know, the Internet of Things is just this exponential growth of technical capability. Has that really been addressed, that future-looking aspect to it? Um, well, no, I think that this definitely is of concern. I think that it's not been addressed so far. I mean, everyone should be able to see that the way we're headed in that more and more devices and more and more things are being connected to the internet are sending data into different areas and it will actually it will all become communication data in its own way i think this is a, a problem that is yet to be resolved and has hasn't been fully tackled by those who are legislating mm. now the people who or the organizations that have to retain this data this is pretty much the same kind of thing that i remember with the communications data bill that uh, internet service providers should hold on to this information for a 12 month period but i mean maybe i didn't look at the original communications data <laughs> bill in, in enough detail but looking at this one it seems much broader than that i mean you, you list hotels cafes pubs bars public transport airports health devices cars and there's a list longer than that and these will be required to store that information for a 12-month period. That seems tremendously broad that so many would have to store information. It is very broad and it is very concerning because um, it's essentially in many ways uh, mandating these companies should be retaining this information when there's no business case to actually for them to be retaining it. Um, and they're going to be specifically retaining it for the uses of, of the state, essentially turning them into arms of the state. Um, yes. This is something that we do have very big concerns over and again we, we come back to having to prove a need for it and proving that um, this information will be useful and that it can actually provide a benefit and once again um, it just hasn't been made. Mm. So correct me if I'm wrong but a business let's say a cafe might receive this thing called a technical capability notice and by virtue of that then they would have to install the technology in their cafe to hold on to this information of users who could come and have a cup of coffee or whatever or use the internet there or whatever it might be um, for the 12 month period so they would receive a notice and they would have to then provide this on behalf of the state is that the model um, essentially that is correct I think and I think it is concerning obviously because this is obviously going to increase cost to business it's going to yeah. mean that they're going to have to actually provide time to actually install this and actually make sure they have all the systems in place and that's going to cost money it's going to uh, require more expertise and it could be um, rather quite really quite damaging yes and as you've expressed there's something ideologically uncomfortable about this as well isn't there of, of blurring this distinction between the state and business I, I find that very uncomfortable myself um it has been said, a number of people say this, um, looking at the comments in the uh, submissions to the Joint Committee, that um, you know the UK Human Rights Act may clash with quite a lot of this in its Article 8 and Article 10. Do you want to tell us something about where that clash might take place? Uh, unfortunately, I think this is, that question is probably better suited to a lawyer who knows the ins and outs of those, right. that particular legislation. I unfortunately don't, uh, so I'm unable to actually give you much detail on that. Mm -hmm. 
OK, well, I'll just flag that up for people to look into for themselves. Um, now, the term necessary and proportionate with respect to all of this is used, you say, a lot. And I must admit, looking around, I've noticed it appears <laughs> all over the place. Um, how on earth does one deal with such a vague statement as that, that it's necessary and it's proportionate? Necessary for what and proportionate on what measure? And actually, I mean, the, the lack of clarity in the bill in many areas is astonishing. And I think um, it comes back down to a lack of real evidence behind these proposals and a lack of real yes. willingness to actually make a proper case and other than that is necessary for national security. I mean, even the term national security is pretty vague in a way, isn't it? You know, and, and obviously, because it is national security, it can never be revealed to anybody why such decisions were made. It's uh, quite an unsatisfactory term in itself in many ways. Mm, absolutely, yeah. Another one, of course, is the economic well-being of the country. So something could be authorised for, for that purpose. I'm, I'm not even sure what that's supposed to mean. Could you clarify what that means? Um, it's, I think, an offshoot of the national security sort of definition, um, and that, again, is a very, is a very vague one. Um, and, again, it's something that does need more clarity. Yeah. I'm trying to think of their names. There were a couple of academics who expressed concern about that. I'll probably find that in a moment. I've lost track of that. Um, could you tell us something about the request filter System Now, this, I understand, has to do with communications data. Now, not a lot is explained in the fact sheet. Can you tell us what a request filter is proposed to be? Um, well, this is essentially the, the mechanism that will govern who can access internet connection records. It's what is intended to make sure that the power is still proportionate. Essentially, it will be a service that acts as a sort of buffer between the law enforcement intelligence agencies and the internet service providers. So they, internet records, connection records will be sent to this service when requested and they will that this service will filter out the ones that are necessary and only send on the ones that are necessary to an inquiry or a, a warrant and this is an an independent private company that will be doing this on behalf of the home office yes it is yeah so they would have access to the information in order to make these decisions about filtration uh, I, I assume so but unfortunately again they said on a number of occasions there isn't enough detail for us mm -hmm. to actually make that um, assertion for definite Yes, another question mark to throw in there. Sure. Um, let me just ask you a little bit about the warrants and the authorizations. I mean, there is this proposal um, for a system of warrants, authorization and oversight with respect to various public servants actually getting hold of and using this information. My understanding of this is kind of the safety valve um, that should make us feel okay about this. Now, Theresa May speaks in those terms. She says in her comments to the Joint Committee, quote, oversight arrangements will provide significant assurance to us all. And I find that interesting that she talks in terms of assurance rather than safety and effectiveness. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. do, do you think that the way things look at the moment, that they are safe and effective, these warrants, authorizations and oversight provisions? Um, well, there's a, a couple of different sides to this. Um, there's the authorization element to this, which is something that definitely needs to be looked at in more detail. It's uneven throughout the bill. Um, some powers have what is described as a double lock of a Secretary of State and a judge signing signing warrants. Um, other parts have a senior officer within a law enforcement or intelligence agency signing off on a power and others have a senior law enforcement officer and, and a judge signing off on the power. I mean, looking at just one of those, the double lock, it falls short, far short of what we would like to see. Um, mm. It's been hyped up as a, a very strong system, which gives equal weighting. Unfortunately, the wording at the moment doesn't. Um, the power, essentially, all elements of it fall still with the Secretary of State, and the judge is left as like a, as a 
essentially a secondary element to it's just checking, reviewing whether or not it's happened in a proportionate manner. What we would like to see is that both sides carry equal weight. Okay, so just to paint this so that people can come along with this, and correct me again if I'm wrong here, but let's suppose that GCHQ wants to use a particular warrant for some purpose and they appeal to a Secretary of State. Is it then the case that a judicial commissioner, this is a judge, I presume, has the, yes. the function then within the system to review that decision or approve that decision, but they don't have the facility to block such a decision. Is that right? Well, essentially, in, for example, we take an example like equipment interference, just because each power has, has in many terms, uh-huh. a different authorization procedure. So just looking at one, hmm. uh, equipment interference, a Secretary of State would look at the warrant. Um, they would decide whether or not to authorize that. If they say they do authorize it, then it will go to a judicial commissioner uh-huh. who will then have the option to, who will then review the decision. And they can refuse it. Um, but at that point, the Secretary of State can then go over the head of the Judicial Commissioner to the essentially the boss of the Judicial Commissioner, which is the Investigative Powers Commissioner. Um, and then they can say yes or no and overrule the decision if necessary. Um, so essentially the Judicial Commission doesn't have any real power then? They have the power to review a decision. They, don't, they basically then have to decide on whether the decision is correct or not. But they essentially are just in a, an advisory capacity because the buck stops with the Investigatory Powers Commissioner, is that right? Essentially, yes. Uh-huh. So, I mean, what? I mean, would this be one person, the Investigatory Powers Commissioner? Um, yeah, the Investigatory Powers Commissioner is one person. He is in charge. He or she will be would be in charge of the Investigatory Powers Commission, which uh-huh. is essentially the oversight element of the bill which you were talking about. They will investigate whether these powers are being used in a proportionate manner and exactly how they're being used. So we would have to be confident that this commission was sufficiently separate from government in order for this balance to work out? Yes. I mean, Can we be confident of that? It's, it's, going to, it's going to rest very much on what it looks like in practice. I mean, there is, or there is concerns already being raised in that the Prime Minister will be able to appoint the commissioner right? Yeah. Um, as well as yeah. the judicial commissioners. Um, this is something that uh, we would prefer to see in a more independent body in other areas. Um, the judicial Appointments Commission appoints judges into senior roles and we would um, argue that a similar system could be placed within this, within this framework. Mm. I want to ask you a question which I don't know might seem rather cynical but um, I'd like to ask it anyway. I mean you are concerned about this, many people are concerned about it but one could say perhaps could one why should we be concerned about any of this because if we were to boil down let's say the essence of these so-called snowden revelations could we not say well all this kind of thing is probably going on anyway so is this not just a cleaning up exercise should should we be worried about it anyway well it may already be happening but that doesn't make it right um mm-hmm. in democracy the government has to prove its case has to prove why these powers are necessary and make it a compelling argument and show that they're going to be used proportionately um, in too many instances yes. throughout this bill this hasn't been this hasn't happened yes yes i do agree with you absolutely just felt i needed to ask such a question um mm-hmm. in fact yes those people i was referring to earlier professors john norton and david vincent uh, say something similar along these lines the publication of the draft bill represents the first explicit public admission that such activities are practiced by the security intelligence agencies and sets out a re- regime under which they can be authorized and regulated in the future which well it's an indication that these kinds of things may well be happening um the last things that i really 
really want to ask you are, you know, what do you think that we can do as individuals to voice our concerns about all of this? Um, I mean, many people, I think, would say, well, is there really a lot of point in contacting your MP? Can they really do that much? But what, what would your advice be? Well, I think if you, if you are a concerned individual, I mean, definitely do contact them because this bill is still going through going through Parliament. There is the potential for it still to be amended and changed. Um, so there's definitely the opportunity to do that. I think there's definitely a possibility that it will be um, improved in many ways as well. Yes. And um, what about, do you have any general advice on how people can actually discuss about this in a social setting? Because, you know, once you, you start talking about these kinds of things, you know, amongst the, your, your, your friends and your colleagues, uh, people can shut off and they don't really want to talk about it. You know, um, do you have any particular advice on that? Um, I think it's all about pretending to, you know, make people interested. You have to make it relevant to them. So it's about talking to them in a way that they can understand. For, for example, you know, saying that, you know, if these powers do happen, it will mean that your computer, your smartphone, your tablet can be hacked. It's you're talking about communication data and telling them exactly what that means. It's not just some alien concept. It's, you know, what website you've been accessing, uh, when, where and how. Essentially, trying to make it more relevant is, is the way to go, I think. Yes. Well, indeed, thank you very much, Daniel Nesbitt, for joining us. It's been very interesting. Um, cleared up a few things in my mind about this. Um, could you please direct people to the Big Brother Watch website and just give an idea of what people can find there? Oh, yes, our website, www.bigbrotherwatch.co.uk, is um, a very good place to start. It's got a number of fact sheets, both on the Investigative Powers Bill, explaining each different power and oversight mechanisms as well, as well as um, more fact sheets on more wider concerns looking at CCTV use on drones and uh, on personal data and exactly and how to keep you more secure as well. Wonderful. Great stuff. Thank you ever so much for coming on and thank you for the work that you do there. And lastly, is there any way in which people can support what you do? Is there perhaps a donation or anything like that? Um, yes, we do accept donations and that's also, also through our website as well. Great. Thank you very much, Daniel. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Do please consider writing to your MP if you're here in the UK and you're not happy with the way this bill looks like it's shaping up to be because I'm not happy with it and I should be writing in the very near future. And as I said before, I know it's not really fashionable to talk in these terms in the alternative media. I think the fashionable thing is to do the kind of cynical one-upmanship and say, well, there's no democracy or we've never really had democracy. But the fact is we are able at the very least to express how we feel about things to those whose job it is to represent us, whether they do that well or whether they're able to do that well, whether they, they don't do that well. And I think it can make some difference in some cases. So let's use the opportunity that we have. It may not be much, but we can use it. So please do join with me if you're here in the UK and write to your MP if you have concerns about what's going on. Please also check out Big Brother Watch, which you can find at bigbrotherwatch.org org.uk it's not co.uk that must have been a, a slip of the tongue there by daniel uh, very easy to do it's bigbrotherwatch.org.uk and as i said when you go there you'll be greeted by a big orange page that reads under the investigatory powers bill the government will know you are on this website which i think works really well as an eye opener to many people who might visit that site but of course you can just click on from there to the content of the site really easily which will allow you to see the issues that they're involved 
closed in, etc. And if you go to the Campaigns tab and choose the item in the drop-down menu called Investigatory Powers Bill, you'll have access to their eight fact sheets on that bill, which I think are really very well put together. And uh, because they're PDF files, they're also useful for printing and sharing easily with people. And I'll also mention their blog, which is very good too, with uh, regular articles about privacy and civil liberties issues going on in the UK. So do check those out. So that's bigbrotherwatch.org.uk. Don't forget also that Dissident Prophet, one of my very favourite bands in the whole wide world, is going to be playing a live YouTube streaming gig on Sunday the 22nd of May. So if you're listening to this show as soon as it comes out, that's the day after tomorrow. And if, I suppose if you're listening a few days from now, well, you've probably missed a treat. So uh, that just serves you right for not listening to the show as soon as it comes out. No, just kidding. Uh, anyway, that will start at 9pm British Summer Time. And I'll leave you to work out what that means for you wherever you happen to be in the world and you'll find that at the following url https colon forward slash forward slash www.youtube.com slash user slash we're not grasshoppers with no apostrophe forward slash live now i know that's an awful lot to remember so i think the best thing to do is to follow through from the slideshow image on the tmr homepage, and that will take you through to everything you'll need to watch the gig and my cat has just agreed and hello (laughs) Uh, so that's sunday at 9 p.m uk time and as i wrote on the page advertising this uh, the official tmr comment is be there or be square Thanks to all of you who said that you enjoyed my little item last week on Boaty McBoatface. Um, It's uh, certainly nice to know that around the globe there are like-minded people who see the vital importance of this very serious issue. Next week, uh, all being well, we should be chatting to Dr. Paul Craig Roberts again. Always great to hear what he has to say on issues going on in the world. And I know very many of you appreciate his visits to TMR, so look out for that. That's next week. So this time, he'll be joining us to share his views about the EU and and what he thinks about the upcoming EU referendum here in the UK. Lastly, don't forget that TMR will be down for maintenance a couple of days during the week of the 29th of May to the 4th of June, or strictly speaking, not maintenance, it's a hosting changeover. So don't be alarmed if the site disappears for 48 hours or so, it's just going to be a temporary matter, I hope. I hope. Who knows, but I do hope. So that's uh, just a couple of days during the 29th of May to the 4th of June. So that's it for this week, except to say, if John McMahon happens to be listening, I hope that wasn't too stuffy for you this week. John, um, you have been listening to me, Julian Charles, of themindrenewed.com, and I very much look forward to speaking to you again in the near future. <laughs>